My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 7th of August. In today's service we pick up where we left off last week with Jesus continuing to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us to immediate action and the song that we've just heard was called Right Here, Right Now by Fatboy Slim and so seemed to me to be appropriate. Amongst our other music today, we'll have a song by John Legend and an old gospel tune sung by Larnell Harris. Just one notice today, which is that we meet for tea plus chat plus prayer at the home of Jill and Alan Potter on Tuesday at 2.30 in the afternoon. And now our call to worship, some verses from Psalm 33. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord! whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Right here, right now, we worship you. 
God of wealth and treasure, and we adore you. We come before you to share the riches of your glory, to feel and see and hear and know that you are in our midst. You are not seated high on some heavenly throne. You are not ensconced in castle or palace. You are not protected by guards and walls. You, Lord God, are in our midst, alive, living and being among us. We worship and adore you here and now, no appointment needed. We strive in life for things to make us comfortable, for things that give us pleasure. We save in life, if we're able, for rainy days and stormy times. We work to make life better, always hoping it will make us happier. We burden ourselves with so much so-called treasure that we cannot often see the wood for the trees. We work to give enjoyment, but we struggle along the way. Forgive us, Lord, and help us in a moment of reflection to see the damage that our treasures can cause if they become the centre of our living. Forgive us in our busyness to store up treasure here on earth if we lose sight of the treasure that is you in the here and now. Forgive us if in our busyness we fail to share your treasure with family, friend, foe and neighbour. God, in his love for us, offers us, each of us, every one of us, forgiveness for our sins, things done and undone, things spoken and unspoken. God, in his love for us, offers assurance that our sins, yes, even ours, are forgiven. So let us go this day, sharing the treasure that is God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, beginning at verse 32. So do not be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Be dressed for service, and keep your lamps burning, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door, and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. The passage that we're looking at today is a continuation of the words of Jesus that we looked at last week, where he was talking about our relationship to our possessions. 
Jesus had gone on to compare our relationship with God to that of the wild flowers and the birds, neither of whom seem to worry much about what they are going to wear or where their next meal is coming from. I take the general point, but I do wonder if Jesus ever kept pets when he was growing up in Nazareth, as our guinea pigs definitely seem to worry about food. Despite living on her own in her cage for a number of years, our last piggy, the much-loved and now-lamented Big Suze, insisted on running away and hiding for fear of another piggy stealing her food, her imaginary friend, perhaps. Having said that, I think we get the point that Jesus was making, which is that if God provides for the flowers and birds, how much more will he make sure that we are clothed and fed? The passage we looked at last week was in many ways straightforward. It was an instruction from Jesus to focus on things of eternal value rather than those that are ephemeral. Just as an aside, the word ephemeral comes from a Greek word that means lasting a day. Ephemeroptera is also the name of an order of insects that include the mayfly. An adult mayfly's lifespan lasts typically for a day, although some might live for two days and some for just a few minutes. In comparison with the lifespan of a human being, this seems incredibly short, but the ratio of the length of their lives to ours is much closer than is the ratio of our life to the life of our Earth. One of the problems surrounding climate change as a result of human activity is that the people who tend to make the decisions about such things are those who will not have to live with the consequences. While there is talk about thinking about our children and our grandchildren, the reality is that even when it comes to subsequent generations, human beings tend to be selfish. The writer of the Old Testament book Ecclesiastes had a comment on this. I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. This makes sense when considered in contrast to storing up possessions in a barn for a day that may never come. The man in that parable who stored up his grain in an even larger barn had wasted his time because that very day was to be his last. In that context, living for that day alone makes sense, living for the now. But there is another way of looking at this, and Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthian Christians, makes a somewhat different point. In chapter 15, Paul is discussing the nature of resurrection and indeed whether there is one. He writes, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Somehow it seems that there must be some way of balancing the idea of our lives being ephemeral and our place in eternity. Our passage has something of this same tension between the temporal and the eternal. But whereas last week's passage was fairly straightforward in its main thrust, this week's is more diffuse. But before we move there, perhaps it's worth just bringing out a saying that rather nicely encapsulates how we all live in these two worlds. It can be found in various forms, in various places, but this is my favourite version. Live like you are going to die tomorrow. Plant trees as if you are going to live forever. The way that our passage begins is also where we will probably end today. 
Jesus comforts his disciples and tells them, Do not worry, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This has the feel of, it will be all okay in the end. But there is more to it than that. There is here an allusion to the Old Testament prophecy of God as shepherd of his people. In Ezekiel, the majority of Israel's kings are described as bad shepherds, those who live off the meat of the sheep rather than caring for them and taking just their milk and their wool. Well, this is certainly an encouraging start, but with the giving of the kingdom to us also come responsibilities. The implication of receiving the kingdom that God has given is that those who are of the kingdom must live under the kingdom's rule. So, immediately having been told not to be afraid, Jesus goes on to tell the disciples to sell their possessions and give to the poor. And this is not the only time that Jesus has made such a demand. Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell us about the time that a man, possibly a ruler, maybe also young, but definitely wealthy, encountered Jesus and asked him a question. Now this wasn't the usual smart aleck who was trying to catch out Jesus. No, this man genuinely seemed to have wanted to know the answer to his question. And this question was, what do I need to do in order to gain eternal life? It turned out that the man had kept all the commandments which drew praise from Jesus. However, Jesus noticed that there was one thing that was acting as a barrier between the man and God's kingdom. And this was his stuff. The answer was simple, sell it all and give the proceeds to the poor. The man was sad because he had a lot of stuff. But I like to think that he decided to go along with what Jesus said. The only reason for thinking that he didn't is that we're told he went away, sad. But when we do a hard thing, we don't have to be happy about it. We may feel at peace afterwards. But when the doctor said that I needed inoculations to go to India and Nepal a few years ago, I went away sad, because I don't like being stuck with needles. But I still did it, although I was a bit disappointed that the nurse didn't give me a sticker for being brave. The thing is, I needed to do what I'd been told to do if I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Maybe that was the case with the man who wanted eternal life. He went away sad because he knew that what he had to do would be hard. The punchline of the beginning three verses of our passage is the last verse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The general thrust of this expression is clear in that there is a need to make sure one's attention is focused in the right place. However, perhaps it's best to see how this verse is worked out practically. The first Christians seemed to understand what it meant to live under the rule of God's kingdom, and so they shared meals together, they prayed together, and, perhaps most revolutionary of all, they held all their possessions in common. This broke down fairly quickly, as just a couple of chapters later we read in the Acts of the Apostles that Ananias and Sapphira lied about keeping back some of their money. The first Baptist Christians also practiced this revolutionary sharing, but while all the things that mark the way that the first Christians lived are good and would not be out of place in the lives of 21st century Christians, there is a much easier way of determining whether we live by that verse. 
What is it that motivates us? What is it that excites us? What is it that we long for? Because that is where our heart is. And this is a sobering thought, because I know that a lot of my life is lived with the answer to these questions being quite unrelated to God's kingdom. There is a need for reorientation. We think of repentance as something we do when we've done something wrong, but the root of that word has to do with rethinking. We need to change our thinking. We need to check our priorities. In a sense, last week's passage really ended with verse 34 from this week's reading, and at this point there is a natural break as Jesus moves on to a different topic. But we mustn't forget this verse. The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. The next section of our reading begins with a mini parable that sounds familiar, although we don't often tend to read this version of it from Luke's story about Jesus. I'm sure we're all familiar with the story that Jesus tells and that Matthew has recorded of the wise and foolish bridesmaids. The wise girls had sufficient oil so that their lamps didn't run out before the bridegroom returned. That parable is a longer version of what we have here in our reading today, and both are about readiness, about vigilance. Jesus talks about this need to be vigilant in the way that the Old Testament talks about how the Passover meal should be eaten. Actually, words that Jesus uses are, let your loins be girded, which was part of the instruction in Exodus chapter 12 for how the Passover should be eaten. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. But this is not about anything that we need to do. It is about the people we need to be. There was a joke I remember from Mad magazine, which I used to read as a boy. There was a poster that read, Be alert. And this was followed by the second line that read, Your country needs lerts. There's a word that's taken on a new meaning in the last few years, and particularly since the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2014. That word is woke. However, the earliest usages were around 50 years ago. Garvey Lives was a play performed in 1971 where the Garvey in the title is the Jamaican political activist Marcus Garvey. And one of the characters in the play says, I've been sleeping all my life, and now that Mr Garvey done woke me up, I'm going to stay woke, and I'm going to help him wake up other black folk. Staying woke is what people are encouraged to do. It means to be aware of issues surrounding social and specifically racial justice. Jesus seems to be saying here that Christian people need to be woke. We need to be woke to the kingdom of God. We need to be woke to matters of social justice. But we also need to be woke to what God is doing in the world around us because that is where we need to be. And we need to join in with what God is doing. From verses 35 to 48 of this chapter, Jesus uses the context of a typical Roman household with masters and slaves. It's useful to remind ourselves of the status of slaves whose masters own their very bodies. 
In this setting, it's remarkable that a master should hitch up his robes and serve his reclining slaves. Who does such a thing? Well, Jesus does. And although this story was told before the death and resurrection of Jesus, when Luke was recording these stories, perhaps he knew of the significance of what Jesus was saying, because it was Jesus who was the Lord who served his servants. There is one other mini-parable that Jesus uses. It is that Jesus alludes to the Son of Man coming like a thief who comes to burgle a house. The point is that the thief comes at an unknown time, and so it is necessary always to be vigilant. It is about the certainty of an event that will come at an uncertain time. Some Christian traditions have developed a belief in the rapture. This is not a word that actually occurs in the New Testament, but is an idea based on passages in Matthew and Luke, in which there are various pairs of people, and one is left carrying on with their normal activities, while the other is taken up, raptured. Now I want to make it clear that this has nothing to do with this passage. The only connection is in the idea of needing to be vigilant, as one would be to avoid being taken unawares by a thief. The connection with this passage and the relatively modern, well that's 19th century, doctrine of rapture is in this simile of a thief. But there is no mention of a thief in the passages that have been interpreted as having something to do with a rapture. The connection has come through an American Christian cultural phenomenon. There was a film released in 1972, A Thief in the Night, and this led in turn to the Left Behind series of books. Larry Norman had a very successful gospel song that had the same title as the film, and so generations of Christians believed that God would come like a thief in the night and take up some and leave others. Texts such as the second two-thirds of our passage today are written about the future in a style that's sometimes described as apocalyptic, meaning literally uncovered. The problem with apocalyptic language is that it is often more opaque than transparent, and taken literally it can be confusing and often scary. This is how one writer has described this sort of language, and especially with regard to the need for vigilance. When we read apocalyptic texts as they were intended to be read, we can come to a more profound and ultimately more faithful understanding of what it means to be children of God. We can believe that God's steadfast love endures forever. We can believe that the manner of God's steadfast love is made known and made real, most explicitly through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can believe that the day of Pentecost marks how God's own loving spirit has been poured out into the church, in order that we might witness to God's steadfast love, even in the most difficult of times. We can believe that Christ comes to us over and over again, incarnate among the needy, among victims of oppression, and wherever the story of redemptive suffering is embodied in our world. And we can believe that all of heaven joins in and rejoices in utter praise when God's people defy the lies of empire and embrace the Christian message. When we embrace the message that God's steadfast love endures forever, something powerful happens. We learn to sing in the face of tragedy. We learn to believe in the face of despair. 
we need to go back to the first part of our reading and remind ourselves that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It doesn't say that where our treasure is, that is where we will be too. We are rooted in this world, but our hearts are to be focused on that which is eternal, not things that rot and rust, but that which lasts. That same writer I quoted before again. Our message is not that we escape the world in order that God can overcome the violence of our world with a greater holy violence. Our message is that in life or in death, nothing can separate us from the love of God made known to us in Christ. We are called to be woke, alert to social injustice, but alert to what God is doing in the world so that we can join in. But don't forget what Jesus said right at the beginning of our passage today. Do not be afraid. You are my dearest, most loved friends. And the Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Amen. Why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my
Let us pray. Our God, at the start of this new week, we pause to thank you for the treasure we have in our lives. Family members, friends, places, activities, favorite food, all of which bring color, beauty, and joy to our lives. We thank you for all these people, places, and things which you have given us. Lord of the treasure store, help us to seek for your treasure. And our God, we thank you for the treasure of sport, as many celebrate the victory of the English women's football team. As the Commonwealth Games continue, we pray for all those participating, and we lift Christian athletes to you, and ask that they may be witnesses of your treasure. We thank you for the treasure of our bodies, and all we can do with them, eyes to see your beauty, ears to listen to music and words, the ability to play, make, feel and do. Help us to use our bodies for your glory this week. Our God, we thank you for this season of holidays. We thank you for the beauty of the world around us and for many the opportunity to stop and stand and stare for a while. We ask that whether we are going on holiday or not, this may be a week when we can take the opportunity to be still and know that you are God. We pray for all the Christian events that will be happening over the summer for young people. And we ask that they will respond to the treasure of who you are. We pray for all those whose holidays are being spoilt by strikes, airport delays and long queues of traffic. Whatever our circumstances this week, Lord of the treasure store, Help us to seek for your treasure. And our God, we know that not everyone in the world is experiencing times of treasure right now. We lift to you those who have had to flee their homes due to war or natural disasters. We remember those living in refugee camps or take their lives into their hands by trying to cross the channel to the UK. We pray for all who are ill, particularly those who are known to us. And we lift to you those who are sad and sorrowful at this time, particularly the high-profile cases of those who have lost children to injury or sudden death this week. Lord, in the midst of their pain, difficulty and despair, may they somehow find the treasure that is you. Help us to be treasure bringers to those who need your comfort. Our Lord, we are aware that for so many of us, earthly treasure seems in short supply right now. We pray for those who are struggling to make ends meet as the cost of living soars. We remember children who may go hungry during the school holidays. We thank you for our food banks and all they do to help, even though we wish that we had no need for them. Help us to keep our eyes and ears open to those who need our love and support at this time. Heavenly Father, we offer the week ahead to you now. We know that your treasure doesn't come to us. We need to seek it out. Give us wisdom and vision this week to look for your treasure and set our hearts there. Help us to be treasure seekers and treasure bringers this week as we share what we have found with those around us. And we ask all these things in the name of our great treasure, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Our last song, sung by John Legend, is an encouragement to us to wake up, but first a final prayer. Lord, go with us. Help us to seek your treasure. Help us to look for all you're doing right now. Help us, by our example as much as by our words, to share your treasure and your life-giving story with the people we meet this week. Amen. Wake up, New York. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more backward thinking. Time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There is so much hatred, war and poverty. Sleeping in bed. Oh, wake up, everybody. Yeah. 
wake up everybody